this one time I opened the door to my academy with a big smile on my face for an interview. And the two white elderly men looked straight past me and their eyes were searching for someone else. They said they had an appointment with the owner without even looking at me. And all along, I've been standing right in front of them with my hand reached out, trying to introduce myself, trying to welcome them. But they couldn't believe that I was the owner. They thought that I was the cleaner. Why? Because I was young, an immigrant, a woman. So they kept talking about it throughout the meeting. They couldn't let it go. How they couldn't believe that I was this achieved CEO, that that could be me. All of the things you desire on the outside, health, wealth, success, community, and making a difference begins from your ability to cultivate a positive mind. In this show, we will delve into different strategies and tips to help you show up daily as the best possible version of you. Each episode, a guest or an insight will help you achieve the winning mindset you need for your dreams to come alive. Welcome to Inner Winner, and this is your host, Linda Houston. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Inner Winner. I'm so glad to have you here. As you can hear, I have a bit of a cold right now, but ignoring all of that, we are going to have an incredible episode today full of insights, full of inspiration, full of motivation. So stay tuned. Uh, This one is coming from a conference that I helped organize and also had the pleasure to be moderator Uh, for the Women's Federation for World Peace. It's on the topic of work-life balance. Is it a myth to the modern woman? And this particular conference was focusing on balancing being a woman leader and the feminine. So we have four speakers that are going to come on here who have each conquered their field of expertise. We have one incredible dancer and business owner, And we have a singer-songwriter, also climate activist. We have a policy advisor and communication expert. We have Mari from the Mari Group. She's an entrepreneur um, and she's a speaker, uh, very acclaimed. And all of them share their insights and their experiences as women leaders in their field um, and also share their message to women as to how we need to claim our voices and we need to also understand ourselves better and not fall for the pressures that society puts on us and that we let put on us and you know that each of us have something unique to give and that we especially as women in order to to be empowered and claim the space in this world that we need to claim and that the world needs we need to find our voices and so I, I hope that you will stay tuned throughout this episode. It is a long episode. The conference lasted for an hour and a half, but it's incredible. So please stay tuned. So warm welcome, everybody, to this conference. Um, it is the first conference in a three-part series all about work-life balance. Is it a myth for the modern woman? And... So this is our first one, and the next one will be on the 19th of September, all about balancing motherhood and womanhood. And the final one will be on the 3rd of October, 
all about becoming the architects of a balanced society. So this is going to be a really exciting event and we have four amazing speakers, powerhouse ladies lined up for this afternoon. Uh, but first of all, let me just introduce who we are hosting this. So we are Women's Federation for World Peace and it's an organization that promotes women as an essential ingredient in creating a peaceful global society. It was founded by Dr. Hak Johan Moon and her late husband, Reverend Dr. Samyam Moon. And the organization is united globally by this vision while addressing the unique issues and barriers in each region on the grassroots level and through high level events such as this one. Uh, WFWP International was founded in 1992 in Korea and quickly expanded to over 100 countries. Only five years later, WFWP International was granted general consultative status with the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations. So the mission is to empower women as peace builders and leaders to transform the community, nation, and world through education, advocacy, partnership, reconciliation, and humanitarian service. WFWP International aims to create an environment of peace and well-being for future generations and people of all races, cultures, and religious creeds. And this particular conference series is hosted by WFWP, the Nordic region. So involved in this is Women's Federation Sweden, Women's Federation UK, and Women's Federation Norway. And like I said, the title for this afternoon is Balancing Being a Woman Leader and the Feminine. So we have four incredible speakers from uh, a wide range uh, from different uh, fields, from entrepreneurship to, um, to music to uh, policy. So there's gonna be this wide range of experiences to be shared and I think we can all agree that this topic is, is very interesting and a very important topic. So it's going to be a really exciting event. And I am going to be the moderator. Linda Houston is my name. I am the vice president of Women's Federation Sweden. And I'm, I'm also the founder of Inner Wellness Woman. So to explain a little bit of the idea behind this conference and uh, this first part, this first series. So being a woman leader kind of explains itself, right? We have these four powerhouse women. Um, the feminine, we, we mean the feminine energy um, uh, versus the masculine energy, which is something that all of us possess, whether you're a man or a woman, we all have the feminine and the masculine qualities. Uh, but unfortunately, throughout history, it's the masculine qualities that have been praised and celebrated. Um, and I'll go more into it, what, what that can be, what that can look like. Um, but I, for one, believe, and I invite you to be open-minded about this idea because it's very hopeful, that uh, the feminine aspects and the feminine, feminine char characteristics are really uh, given the space to... To, to blossom now and to they're starting to be more valued. And we, we need both, right? Because they're yin, the feminine and yang, the masculine. And so they work together, complementing each other. So masculine energy could be the doing f versus feminine, the being, or the analytical versus the intuitive. 
concrete versus abstract, assertive versus receptive, left brain versus right brain, thrusting versus receiving, organizing versus synthesizing, logical versus creative, controlling versus allowing. So keep this on the back of your mind as we go through this conference, something to reflect on. And just to give you a little bit of, of an idea of where the conference comes from and the idea behind it, it all started with a phone call. I received a phone call from Mitzi, who is on the organizing committee for this event. And she's also the national secretary general for the UK and vice president of Women's Federation Europe. And we were brainstorming a topic for future Zoom conferences. And she asked what topic I, as a relatively young woman might think would be a, a hot topic for me and, and for people in my age group. And immediately what came to mind was this idea of work-life balance. Um, I'm also a relatively new mom with a 20-month-old son. And so trying to fit it all together, uh, you know, providing for your child, but then also being with your child and, um, and also taking care of yourself and all, all of that, fitting it all together is a real struggle. And I know it's like, like that for a lot of women. And so, so this quickly came to mind and we decided to do this, this conference. And then as we started um, discussing ideas and putting together the committee group, we realized that we wanted to make it into three parts. The first one is going to be, the one today is going to be about the, the individual experience of the woman really conquering her field um, and her experiences in, in that particular field. And the next conference is going to be the experience of motherhood. And then the final conference is going to be more looking at this idea of balance from a macro level and the societal support when it comes to work-life balance, but also the balance between the masculine and the feminine. So um, I don't wanna ramble on for too long, but that's the whole idea of the conference. And now, Without further ado, let me introduce our first speaker. Her name is Bella Malekian. She is somebody I personally admire very much. Um, I um, took some of her dance classes many years ago and she's an artistic director and CEO of the award-winning Malma Dance Academy. Um, already at the age of 15, Bella started a company as an inexperienced young woman with an immigrant background, and she often experienced a lot of no-sayers, injustice, racism, and hatred. But she didn't give up, and so her dream today is, is to help others follow their, their purpose, regardless of obstacles. She was the, um, um, as the CEO, she was a finalist as the Young CEO of the Year, uh, three years in a row, and she also ended up at, as number 12 on the list of future female leaders. She tours regularly, dances, well, at least in normal times, and competes, <laughs> and she's a TEDx speaker. So let us welcome Bella. And also, I should say, um, if you want to read the full bio of our speakers, please check the chat box. But let's welcome Bella. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a true honor to be here. So for anyone tuning in right now, I'm going to mention it again. 
So my name is Bella Malekian. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur, like she mentioned, and a multi-world champion within dance. But my road getting here was not easy at all. I started my business at the age of 15, and I always felt like I had all the odds against me since I always was considered as the inexperienced young girl that didn't know what she was doing. The immigrant that didn't belong here was verbally and physically abused, literally, for not looking like the typical sweet. I faced a lot of jealousy, injustice, hatred, racism, naysayers, and people that daily told me that I would never make it, or at best, they told me what I needed to do differently. So for many years, I kept it a secret that I, in fact, was the CEO. Instead, I always said that it was a family business. My family has helped me a lot, absolutely, but I couldn't openly and proudly stand for being the female young immigrant leader since that would hold me back. It simply didn't like, it wasn't the stereotypical norm of how a leader should look like. So let me talk a little bit about a typical day. I gained 22 kilos while pregnant, and as a new mom, feeling exhausted all the time, I found myself grabbing the chocolates and sugary drinks more than I should. Little by little, healthier habits helped me lose a little bit of weight here and there, but I found that I gained the weight back periodically anyway. I thought I could do it all by myself, but it just wasn't working. Finally, I took the plunge and did the C9. After completing the Clean 9 program, which is a 9-day cleansing plan made by fitness and health experts and nutritionists based around Forever's best-selling aloe vera gel, I lost 14 centimeters around my waist. I felt energized, strong. I went jogging 3 kilometers on the 9th day, which was huge for me. I loved the way I looked and was excited for what was to come. It definitely became the catalyst for my fitness journey that has now made me lose all of the excess weight and come back to my normal size in less than two months since the cleanse. This month, 20 amazing people who are committed to their physical transformation and mindset shift will be coached through the C9 program by me and have the chance to be part of an incredible community at the same time. I will work closely with these people, scheduling in one-on-one -on -one calls before we begin to be able to meet your specific fitness goals and budget. In the Facebook group, Transforming Together C9, you will find your accountability buddies who are with you on your journey toward physical transformation, sharing your experiences together, recipe ideas, snack ideas, and other tips and tricks. And I will come online for additional support and motivation every day. To claim your spot, email me at innerwellnesswoman at gmail.com subject line c9 i'll say that again email me at innerwellnesswoman at gmail.com subject line c9 this one time i opened the door to my academy with a big smile on my face for an interview and the two white elderly men looked straight past me and their eyes were searching for someone else they said they had an appointment with the owner without even looking at me. And all along, I've been standing right in front of them with my hand reached out, trying to introduce myself, trying to welcome them. But they couldn't believe that I was the owner. They thought that I was the cleaner. Why? Because I was young, an immigrant, a woman. 
So they kept talking about it throughout the meeting. You couldn't let it go, how they couldn't believe that I was this achieved CEO, that that could be me. They, they said that they expected something different, but until this day, I still don't know what that is, what they were looking for that I was lacking in their minds, right? So I always say, believe in yourself until one day others have no other choice but to believe with you. So today I've run my business for 17 years as our artistic director and CEO of my award-winning business, Malmo Dance Academy, like Linda mentioned, which is one of Europe's largest academies. It has been named Sweden's best dance school and I have 53 employees. My academy have 2000 customers weekly. We are also the first and only company to have won two awards at Malmo Business Gala, the diversity award and the young CEO award of the year. And since then, for several years, I've been in the jury group at Malmo Nancy's Gala. Thank you. I see someone clapping there to bring out the future winners. Thank you. I've always been a I also been a finalist as a young CEO of the year in all of Sweden for three years in a row and been on the list of future female leaders two years in a row. And in addition to running my business, I also tour all around the world to teach, perform, further educate, compete, judge, and lecture. I've spoken for TEDx talk, won numerous world championships within dance, started working as a business advisor. And also I was personally invited to the Sweden dinner at the Royal Palace in Stockholm with, with the entire Royal family. That, that was like shocking. <laughs> and now I'm receiving the title as the arrogant woman that brags too much about her accomplishments. <laughs> because we can't do that, right? So nowadays I hold lectures about being your own cheerleader and truly believe that society, I believe that society cheers for you when you need it the least. Now that I've achieved so many things in my life, people applaud me for, for my efforts, but this is not when I needed the most. I needed it when the world turned its back on me and said that I wasn't what they were looking for in a leader, right? This is not when I need the applause. I needed it back then when I was 15. So how are certain people identified as leadership or management material? And how is it that certain people can get access to leadership positions while other people are perceived as less appropriate? Historically, women were seen as not appropriate to hold leadership positions. And this was often ascribed to their femininity, right? So stereotypes are that women are not as intelligent as men. They are too emotional, too passive. Femininity was seen as a liability and therefore women couldn't be leaders. In the past, being a feminist equaled being anti-feminine because femininity was seen as a barrier that held women back. Gladly, there's been a shift. Today, research has shown that femininity is a crucial asset for organizational success. And this has given rise to the emerge of the figure of the feminine leader or the women leader, right? But many people think that female equals femininity, just like Linda was saying, and male equals masculinity, but that's not the real definition of the words. We can do femininity or masculinity regardless of gender. These things are social practices. It's something we do. So there, it's actions, right? So now I've always been a girly girl. My favorite color is pink. I love to wear dresses and everything girly, glitter, rhinestones. It's my best friend. I'm a dancer and I'm in love with strong colors, bubbles and flamingos. They would totally call me a girly girl, but I'm also a women's rights advocate. I've been a rebel my whole life and have never followed any norms. Instead, I had to create my own even if that meant that many couldn't tolerate my strengths and my strong opinions. 
people worked very hard to stand in my way, but I worked even harder to prove them wrong. I always knew being a leader is not about gender. It's a skill, it's a behavior, a personality, something you can learn, but also unlearn. If society keeps telling women that their femininity stands in their way of their success, they feel forced to choose. Often they will back down from their careers if that equals them being less of a woman. The real barrier is not our hobbies or our favorite colors, it's the historical and systemic impact that hold women back from a very early age. Today, there is talks about liberal feminism and post-feminism. And in post-feminism that we are striving for today, femininity is not a problem. It does not define who you are as a leader. What does is your education, your experience, skills, achievements, your individuality, being competitive, energetic, striving to achieve. Those things are clear factors that determines if you climb up the ladder or not. So on the other hand, why is society always trying to diminish the feminine attributes as if they are not suitable features in a leader? Why should leaders of today not be nurturing, caring, empathetic, ambitious, collaborative, and looking after people? These things are not expected from men, but women that lack these features are often being frowned upon. Women don't get anything back when acting empathetic, but a man that is, is being praised for being empath empathetic. It's perceived as a skill when men can take on feminine features, while women often get backlash for taking on masculine ones. When we do, we are being too aggressive, too pushy, or too tough, right? So being a leader often means that you have to be tough, regardless of gender. Assertiveness and decisiveness go against being a likable woman. Therefore, we can't leave our femininity behind, even if we wanted to. It's required by us. Women should be passive. We should be attractive. We should smile. We should stroke men's egos. And we shouldn't be too aggressive, but be social, not too confident, look after men and put everyone else ahead of ourselves. Cultural norms play an important role here since it's rarely about your actual achievements, but rather of people's perception of you as a woman and whether you are perfectly female versus feminine and not. Therefore, being a wife and a mother is a central aspect of who women are supposed to be. In all honesty, I think that is one of the main reasons that I'm terrified of becoming a mother. I, I don't have children, but it's not because I don't wanna have children, but because I know I will love them with all of my heart, which most likely also equals holding me back in my career as a dancer and as a leader. Not because I'm not capable of doing both, but because society thinks that I can't. You don't have to accept the status quo and believe the myths of how a woman should be in and outside of the workplace. You can create your own reality. Why can't we be successful CEOs and mothers at the same time? Why do we applaud the single fathers and stay-at-home men and if they can do that and have a career, well, we got a hero. We're applauding men for just showing up while women are expected to always be the responsible one. Women do this all the time, yet we don't see them as the super women that they actually are. Instead, we wonder, why isn't she doing more, right? She can always do more. On the other hand, if you don't have kids, like in my case, they'll say, Bella, you have all the time in the world, so therefore I should pick up other people's loads as well, right? 
Or very often they rush me and tell me that my biological clock is ticking. Yet nobody ever says that to my partner, ever. They know that he could become a father at any age. So is that really fair? I literally hear a ticking clock in my head daily. And I'm trying to rush to finish me time so I can become the devoted mom that society expects me to be. But having children or even having the thought of having children should not stop a woman from thriving in her career or gaining new opportunities. If we are strong enough to carry and give birth to a child, we are strong enough to handle whatever you wanna put on our plate. At least give us the chance to choose if we can and want to carry the weight or not. Give us an option. Women are the pillars of the homes and our communities. Family is not an excuse. They are our reason. Now, all of this might sound very discouraging. So what do we have to do to make a change? The good news is lots have already been done, but yet there is so much left that we can and we will do. Since my family have a background in Iran where women have literally no rights whatsoever, I have to remind myself daily of how blessed we are in the Western world, just for the simple fact of being able to dance, to be free and to be a female leader is blessings that millions of people do not have around the globe. But that doesn't mean that we don't have our own problems. Of course we do. Studies have shown women are not making it to the top of any profession anywhere in the world. And that is not because they lack the ability. They simply do not get the opportunity. I do feel that I constantly have to hide my girly side, always, to gain more respect as a CEO. How can I be a strong, independent, and serious leader and also love pink and glitter? So every time I realize I'm hiding who I am to make someone else see me differently or treat me with respect, I evaluate how I see the title CEO and remind myself of the changes I wish to see in the world. The world has shown us that the most successful leaders are older, rich, white, privileged men. But if we hide who we are, how will we ever change and lead the way for our young future boss ladies out there? They need role models that don't fit that mold. We need to show them there is other leaders that look just like us. I always knew that as a young female immigrant, I wouldn't be given a seat at the table. So I created my own table. And I encourage young women all over the world to do the same thing. Whatever your heart desires, you can do. Others don't have to support us in our journey to gender equality and success, but at least they must move out of the way so we can build our own path, definitely. So to all you doubters out there, welcome to 2020. Yes, girly and boss can go in the same sentence, and that does not equal weakness. To be proud of who you are and to not fit in the world's box and the stereotype of how you should look and act. That is powerful and true strength in itself, to be yourself and demand respect for it, no matter what. Women compete against each other all the time and we compare, but it's not a competition, ladies. There is room for all of us. If we build and lift each other up, we don't need men's approval or anyone else for that matter. We don't need them to lift us up. We can lift ourselves and each other. We can all have a seat at the table by creating our own. I am hopeful for a future where the abilities of half of the world's population, that it will be valued and used as a resource, where my future son will have the option to be a stay-at-home dad if he likes, and for my daughter to not just succeed, but to be liked for her accomplishments. Together, 
we must put as much glass on the floor as possible as we shatter every glass ceiling above us. Lastly, maybe true equality will never be accomplished in our generation, but we have to remind ourselves that our fight is not a destination. It's a constant journey and together we are truly stronger. I'm honored to be here today. Thank you guys so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you so much, Bella. That was incredible. Such an inspiring Thank talk. You. Something that I certainly am going to watch back later uh, whenever Thank I have you. a moment of doubt in myself. Um, <laughs> Thank and you, sweetheart. Just a, and just a reminder to every, everyone watching, we will have a question and answer section later on after all our speakers have, have done their speech. So please, if you have a question, um, please um, type it in the chat box and we will be sure to, to ask our speakers. Um, I certainly have some questions and um, yeah, I'm sure you do as well. But let us now welcome our next speaker who is Ariane Sofia Vera Fluixa. She is a singer songwriter. She's an author, founder and activist. Um, she's also a dear friend of mine, and I'm so looking forward to what she has to say. She has a first class degree in international relations and English literature. She co-authored a book on leadership and women empowerment, and she's hosted three TEDx talks uh, on the topics of women empowerment and climate change. She has founded Fridays for Future, where she is located right now in Aquascelentes, Mexico. And she's a member and advocate of the Girl Up campaign by the United Nations Foundation. Uh, she also has um, recently, she's, she's founded an initiative called Prieto Cafe with baristas, coffee dealers, and cafe owners in Aquascelentes. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, all of, to promote the fair and conscious consumption of Mexican coffee in and beyond Mexico. And she's recently published her first book, 100 Ways to Speak of Love. So let us welcome Ariane. Thank you for the kind introduction, Linda, and thank you so much for having me. Um, I would like to start my talk with a little story so you can lean back and close your eyes for a moment and just imagine that the big day that you've been waiting for so long has finally come. You've been invited as an expert to a very important meeting to talk about um, how to create a more equal workspace um, for women. And so you put on your favorite blazer, you put on your favorite shoes, and you walk to that really big, fancy, nice building. And in the meeting room, you take seat on a leather chair and somebody pours in a coffee in your cup. And you just feel so proud that you've come to the stage um, of your career. Um, you have a very nice view. You do a little bit of chit chat with other participants and then it starts. Um, and on the screen, on the wall, you see a phrase that says, well, it's supposed to be a motivational phrase that says, everyone's day has 24 hours. Okay, if you haven't done so, you can open your eyes again. Um, and I would like to put that question out. Do you believe that everyone's day has 24 hours? I, about three, four years ago, totally believed it. Um, that sentence was said to me by my back then mentor. Um, and it motivated me very much. And I was very, that was my time at university and I was very eager to change the world. And I'm still very eager to do my part and to contribute to make this world a kinder and more tolerant place. But I don't believe anymore that everyone's day has 24 hours. 
Why? So um, I think I could have seen it back then at university because there were students that could entirely focus on their studies and there are other students that had to take one or several side jobs. And I never saw it as an advantage to have to take several side jobs, but obviously you have to manage your time very well. And I learned that it's not only about taking a side job, but it's about the financial insecurities, the uncertainty, um, the doubts that creep in all the time, um, especially when you have to focus on your studies. So, but there was another example um, of my time at university that taught me that not everyone's day has 24 hours. Um, so when I was finally able to put some money to the side, I visited my brother in Argentina. So I'm German Argentinian, I'm currently based in Mexico. Maybe you should have said that at the beginning. Um, so good morning from Mexico. Um, and in Argentina, my uncle who has special needs um, was hospitalized. And in Argentina and Mexico, and I suppose in many other Latin American countries, when a patient is not cared for by the hospital staff 24 hours, so somebody from the family or a close friend from the close um, circle of the family has to be there day and night, 24 hours. Um, and that fell on the shoulders of my brother and of me, most of my brother, because frankly, I was completely overwhelmed. So I was just doing the paperwork outside the hospital. Um, and cooking food for my brother and making sure that he was okay. Um, and I was supposed to study for two exams and hand in two essays. And obviously I didn't have the time to do it. And when I came back to Aberdeen, I noticed that I couldn't bring this issue to the table because nobody could relate to this issue. And it wasn't really, there wasn't really space for it. Um, and I also noticed that at the end of the day, and not only in my case, but in general, we only see the grade on the record and we only see the facts, but we never see the story behind it. Um, and I think that is something that I learned that we need to make space for stories and that we need to have empathy for stories that maybe are stories that we cannot personally relate to or something that we haven't lived, um, but that are still a reality for many. So what does that have to do with the issue of work-life balance and maybe women empowerment or just gender equality? Um, I think the argument that I want to bring to the table today is that we need to make the debate intersectional. Um, what I have learned is that it's very important to be aware of your privileges and with every privilege comes the responsibility. And I've learned that some people are born on stage and some people are born off stage. And when you're born on stage, then it's your responsibility not only to um, be a voice for somebody, but actually invite people to the stage and share the microphone and allow others to have the space to tell their realities and to tell their stories. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and create a space that allows more realities and more narratives other than the one that we usually hear. Um, so I think I have another example of, of that argument of um, why we need to make this intersectional, because if it isn't intersectional, then it's just not um, authentic. So last year I had the opportunity to visit a coffee growing community in Chiapas in the state in the south of Mexico, which is one which is the um, biggest exporter of uh, organically grown coffee. And I asked some women if they would like to give some interviews and some agreed. And this coffee com growing community had been affected um, by a coffee plague, which is a consequence of climate change, which is called La Roya, which is translated as a coffee rust. Um, and this plague has affected their community and their work, their existence um, for already six years. Um, so I don't think it's fair. Um, I felt very bad because I knew that I came from, from a place where I wasn't even aware how coffee grows. Um, 
I knew that I came from a region that is responsible for a lot of um, the pollution that we see in the world. And maybe for some people, it's a question of, okay, I'm getting coffee from Chiapas, then they don't have coffee, then I just take coffee from Uganda. Um, but for some people, it's not only the fact, it's not only the numbers of, of um, harvests lost, but it's lives that are behind. It's a story that is behind. Um, so now coming back to the, to the little story that I told in the beginning, um, imagine the person that poured your coffee. Why don't we ask where the coffee comes from? Why don't we ask for the stories behind? And why don't we, in a metaphorical sense, invite those to the table who produce the coffee? Or you could also enlarge it, who produce, who make your clothes, um, who are also part of the privilege, also part of the life that you are allowed to live. Um, Right, so I, I remember that I was um, invited to a conference about two months ago, which was hosted in Berlin, and one of the it was also about women empowerment. And one of the participants was talking about the women empowerment measures in the company, which is a multi -beverage, multinational beverage company. And everyone in the conference room was praising that company, except me. I was actually sitting there crying, <laughs> trying to hide my tears because I know the other side of the story, and I know that this company is taking the water from many communities here in Mexico, um, which the, the consequence is that many girls are forced out of school, um, are prevented from the education because it falls on their shoulder to walk many miles to get water. So I think that I don't have the perfect solution to how making the world more equal, um, how to, to break um, sexist structure, how to end gender-based discrimination. But what I want to be seen in the debate when we talk about it is really the aspect of making it intersectional because we cannot talk about women empowerment on sitting on the foundation of exploitation. And that really is what we have to eliminate to make the world um, the kind world that we want, that we want it to be. So um, I think the other aspect I would like to focus on a little bit more is how do we define work and how do we define women? I very much like the introduction of you, Linda, of let's say female energy and male energy. Um, and that is something that I've learned here in Mexico. So Mexico is um, the country with the highest number of indigenous communities in Latin America, which is very beautiful. And we have uh, very, we have many influences or many indigenous influences in our everyday lives. Some are more subtle and some are stronger. Um, but many words that we use also in Mexican Spanish are from Nahuatl. And Nahuatl is a language that the, that the communities used before colonization in order to communicate with one another. Um, and in Nahuatl, gender doesn't exist. So there is no male or female. Um, and I think that is very beautiful. And me growing up with German, it's something that I cannot imagine, but I think that would change a lot also how you perceive the world. There is one indigenous community in the in Oaxaca, in the south of Mexico, which is the Zapotecas. Um, and actually, Frida Kahlo took a lot of inspiration from um, the Zapotecas. Um, and part of it is a matriarchy. So the roles that would traditionally, or that we maybe would see fall on men, actually fall on uh, women. So I think we see gender, and we know that all gender is just a construct. But I wonder if we really saw that there is only male energy and female energy and that you can also switch. Sometimes I need more male energy for some context and sometimes I'm more female and that doesn't have to do anything with my biological sex. What would the debate 
be like? What would the narrative be like? Would we maybe stop to put into categories all the time? And how would the how would we see society and how would we shape and contribute to society if really that was a starting point that there is only female and male energy? So I also mentioned that I wanted to touch a little bit on how we see work, because I think that there's a lot of work to do on how we define work. Um, so as a singer songwriter, mm, there is no work-life balance in the, in the classic sense. Um, if we see work as something that, um, that is getting paid for something that is anything but life, then it just doesn't apply to me because I get paid when I sing and I feel most alive when I sing. I feel most me when I sing. Um, so for me, the question is more what is personal and what is private, because obviously as a singer, I have to be a public person and I have to be personal and I need this connection and everything that I sing also has a very personal background. Um, and I think that has also helped me to take this attitude to other contexts where I'm more the entrepreneur, um, because I think we are human beings and we can't, we don't, we don't come with a switch and we can't, we can't just switch between life and work. We cannot just leave work outside the door when we enter our homes and we cannot just stop to be a person um, with families, with, um, with worries, with stories when we enter the office. Um, so I, again, don't have the perfect solution. I know that a lot is going on. I know that there are different work models. I know that we all um, getting used to home office more and more. So I'm really looking forward to how the work environment is going to change. Um, but again, what I want to be seen and included in the debate is that we are people with stories, that we are um, human beings, um, that we cannot switch, that we are not machines, um, that we come as people with physical and mental health. And that is something very important that I think we have to include in the debate and how we want the workspace to look like and how we want to work now and also in the near and, and longer future. So um, yeah, as a summary, I think what I really wanted to bring to the table were some stories of Mexico um, and that have inspired me and that have helped me so much and that have helped me question myself um, and just see that every one of us has a responsibility. Every one of us has the chance to change the world and to contribute to make this kind of place just by giving space to stories, by sharing stories um, and um, yeah, by making this an intersectional debate where all realities are welcome um, and brought to the table. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ariane. That was incredible and definitely a lot um, that we can that we can think about and reflect on uh, to bring to the debate on women empowerment. Uh, I really loved how you took the title of, of the whole theme, work-life balance, and kind of challenged that to um, to include maybe personal versus private or balancing the personal and private as well. So that's something to think about. Um, but now let me introduce our third speakers. We have so many exciting speakers um, to listen to. So our third speaker now is Cassandra Humble. Um, she's also a dear friend um, and she has a first class degree in international relations, anthropology and strategic studies and a strong interest in geopolitical security and social change. Her recent work has been as a policy advisor in British politics. Um, she's also involved in a thriving musical schedule and has sung with many chamber groups across the UK and Australia. Recently, she's been privileged to perform for the UNICEF Snowball in New York in the Royal Albert Hall for the last night of the proms and for the Edinburgh 
Scuola Octet Cide recording. So please welcome Cassandra Humble. Thanks, Linda, for the opportunity to speak today and for that lovely introduction. Um, the topic, Balancing the Feminine and Being a Woman Leader. Um, I'm new to the Women's Federation for World Peace, as well as speaking on this kind of platform. It's been really nice to hear two ladies who obviously have experience with TED Talks, that you've got a very fluid kind of style and it's very succinct and it's very polished, which is nice in this kind of communicative environment. And um, I also hope you find my insights on working in music and government interesting for the next 10 minutes. Uh, I'm a young professional who's just starting out in my field and my job history has developed in an ad hoc way through a number of different positions. This pattern probably isn't something that recruiters and employers look at and think leadership qualities or experience. However, it has allowed me to develop a solid foundation in tra of transferable skills. So balancing the feminine and being a woman leader means for me, balancing expectations, both personal and professional, something Ariana just touched on there, learning to love a little phrase called work-life balance and finding your voice. I often say my working life has, so far hasn't been necessarily what I've envisioned for myself. However, it has fitted into the life I always hoped I'd live. I studied my undergraduate degrees in international studies, politics and anthropology, and was lucky to pursue my love of traveling and new cultures through touring with choirs when I was younger. I moved to the UK from Australia nearly three years ago, where I studied my master's degree and started working professionally as a parliamentary researcher. Prior to this, I was heavily involved in the arts, working casually for an arts company, an opera chorus, and in finance administration. I enjoyed being able to dip my toes in these worlds and learn how other industries operate. However, looking back, I lacked direction, and I feel there was an element of falling into these opportunities rather than choosing them. Subsequently, my decision to move abroad and pursue further education was strongly influenced by a desire to redirect my life and reconnect with my expectations. I think part of the reason this topic of feminine leadership and women professionals is difficult to discuss is because it lacks a common integrated language to describe what that means to young women today. What I mean by this is I feel young professionals such as myself who don't fall into the category of working mothers, but who are also not career sharks are painted with the same brush and the general expectation is one of either or, whereby young women have to decide which camp they're going to belong to. I'm still figuring out where I fit into this paradigm because on the one hand, you feel guilty for not committing completely to your career, while on the other, you're entitled to live your life in a way that reflects you. Some of you have probably experienced a similar feeling of being pigeonholed, and I just wonder why it can't be a fluid transition between the two. When I speak about this with my friends, the concept of the female workforce often feels oversimplified, and maybe you wonder if it's just you who feels out of step with everyone else, and perhaps some of you can relate to this. For example, and speaking generally, people often talk about how either women have it all or are expected to do it all. Gender equality in the boardroom is apparently on the rise, yet I often haven't seen that reflected in any of the roles I've worked. And there is an assumption that work-life balance is the new norm, yet many companies have conflicting policies and expectations regarding overtime and flexi hours. I confess I have, I have subscribed to the concept that I can do it all, and that has led to stress and conflict in my life. The resolution of the conflict, however, made me realize that my expectations and my reality had fallen out of step with each other. One of my mentors uses the phrase, happiness equals reality minus expectations. I think it's important to be able to recognize the expectations and assumptions we have about our lives and to challenge them. 
Speaking from personal experience, you may find an idea you had in primary school became an expectation sometime before you graduated, which then became a, an assumption or foregone conclusion during further studies. Only few to realize later that the expectation and the reality of that initial idea are two very different things. Being able to navigate the constantly changing ideas you have for yourself can be tricky, and in my case, sometimes hard to let go. The growing you do by bringing such a level of self-awareness to bear, however, leads you to better understand yourself and helps you develop the skills to help others. I've mentioned briefly my professional experience working for an arts company and an opera company in Australia. Music has always been an integral part of my life and I've used it as a coping mechanism, a social networking outlet and a skills development platform over the past 15 years. To this end, I've always made time for my love of singing alongside any school, university or professional commitments I was undertaking at the time. My understanding of what is known as work-life balance has been my way of living for a long time now. I'm someone who loves communicating, learning and growing through human connection and I'm interested in a variety of disciplines. As such, I love being able to split my time between these aspects of my life. However, as I've tried to grow my career, I've found that the way I practice work-life balance, which is in a way that allows me the time to invest in my musical extracurricular activities, has been difficult to fit into a demanding 40-hour week. When I was recently thinking about this dilemma, I was surprised to discover that what I had glaringly overlooked was my need for rest and a day to be with myself amongst all the busy things I was trying to do. What a lot of people don't realise when speaking to a musician of any kind is the amount of time that goes into a commitment of a single performance. For example, when I was singing regularly, I was committed to at least one performance a month and often four cathedral services a month. It was common for me to spend the fortnight before a concert learning music and attending rehearsals and my Friday and Saturday evenings looking at music for Sunday service. In a month, I would put in 37 hours work to my hobby, which is the equivalent of an extra nine hours a week on top of my nine to five. I don't regret my choice to be as heavily involved in this aspect of my life as I am. I love it. Rather, to shed some light on the fact that when someone at work asks me, what are you up to this weekend? They often have no idea what I've spent my week doing and I don't have the energy by then to explain. Although this example of work-life balance is of my musical hobby, it highlights that, as with any passion or self-care routine, there is a time commitment we all as individuals make to these tasks, which leads to a broader discussion of why many people are defined by their work rather than what they enjoy doing. The period since March and the UK's first lockdown with coronavirus has been the longest period I've not sung in my life, and the abrupt end hit my emotional well-being hard. This period has, however, given me, as I'm sure it has many people, a chance to reevaluate the life they're leading and identify changes they'd like to make. Something I've concluded from this period of reflection is that I need to find more time to allow myself to rejuvenate in a week. Moving forward, this might look like an extended four-day week with Fridays off to rest, which still allows for a busy weekend. There is also a recognition that I can't do everything, and I shouldn't expect that of myself, just like I feel I need to look at what my expectations of work-life balance are, compared to other people my age, my parents' generation, and my previous experiences in different work environments. There is also a responsibility for employers to take this time to reflect upon what the expectations are of new generations coming into the workforce and to try and minimize any gap which could develop in future due to misalignment. I think a discussion on work-life balance is essential when looking at balancing the feminine and being a woman leader, because within this one phrase, you're touching on differences of opinion and experience of what work-life balance was initially designed for, 
and what it looks like now. Why is there a lack of female leadership within companies? And why for me personally, I feel it's difficult to generate traction within my, my professional life. Lastly, I'd like to touch on the significance of finding your voice. This cliched phrase is something I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about. What you say, how you say it, and the impact it can have on people. In today's hectic world, we spend so much time now interacting over technology that we forget the power a single phrase can have on someone's day or outlook on their world. I'm very conscious of this. I feel I don't have a very good understanding of how other people perceive me in professional environments. I'm a child at heart and as such, I sometimes feel my natural instincts for leadership, coaching and communication can be too personable and not professional enough. I feel I'm still developing how I express myself and I'm always learning from the women around me to the ways to improve. I've been very lucky to have had strong female role models to learn from while I was exploring this aspect of my personality. My choral conductors, teachers and professional colleagues have all played a part in the development of my leadership and professional voice. Their example has shown that women can be decisive, clear and compassionate in their leadership and that it is possible to be a woman leader without abandoning their feminine lives. By contrast, I now notice the absence of a woman in higher leadership roles without, within any professional environment I'm working in. The lack of gender diversity feels to me like a break in some kind of chain, whereby younger women in that company are deprived of the opportunity to observe women in higher roles and learn from their example. I've learned from these strong examples of feminine leadership to recognize that everyone has something to say and that the art of delivering this message is in finding your voice. I began my discovery of this aspect of leadership in an all-female environment of mixed ages. I had the benefits of their support as well as diverse experiences to draw from and to learn from as I experimented with different styles and ideas. That experience gave me the confidence to trust my voice once I moved into professional environments. My experience as a policy advisor has taught me many things, foremost being the need to have confidence in what you're saying and the conviction to back yourself. As the authority in whatever brief you're given, your voice has significant influence over the outcome of various discussions and campaigns. And I feel it can be challenging to balance the information you're presenting with the image of a female expert on the subject. I am definitely my worst critic and I lean towards perfectionist tendencies. And while I've never felt belittled or dismissed by male colleagues, I am always conscious that I stand out in those scenarios because of a gender divide in my profession. I cannot stress enough the importance of being visible for both yourself and for others. These are just a few examples and insights of my understanding of a very broad topic. The theme of balancing the feminine and being a woman leader will, I think, continue to be a spoken about issue until the visibility of female leadership is more constant and the assumptions surrounding work-life balance are more normalized. We will still be exposed to the expectation that we can do it all. However, we can find the courage in ourselves to recognize the trade-offs the acceptance of this norm faces us to make and choose to forge our own expectations within this reality. I hope you've taken something away from my thoughts on balancing expectations, work-life balance and finding your voice this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Cassandra. That was very insightful and definitely something I think a lot of us, certainly me, can relate to. Uh, this struggle of trying to do it all uh, and still try to find the balance between just um, doing what makes you happy um, and then also meeting the expectations. So thank you so much for sharing.
Um, and again, I want to remind everyone to write questions because we will hear from all of these speakers again, and they might be able to answer your questions. Um, now let's welcome our last speaker, Madi Sharma. She is the founder and award-winning entrepreneur behind the Madi Group. Madi titles herself victim to change maker as her personal experience has taken her through the, the university of life from a victim of domestic violence and single parent through to entrepreneur and inspirational speaker. She established her first company from her kitchen at home, which grew to two factories and 35 staff. Madi has received the honors of Asian Woman of Achievement and UK's Best Boss, as well as the Woman of the Decade, Entrepreneur and Leadership, All Ladies League Award. She was in 2018 listed as one of the Apolitical's 100 World Most Influential People in Gender Policy. Madi is recognized international speaker, including TEDx Talks. So let's welcome her now. So I'm the granny. You're all the young generation that I have been fighting for. And it's time now for me to pass that baton on to you. And I am so impressed. Each one of you understands what is needed. And this is the way forward. We need to engage more women together, all of us. Uh, because that's something that's missing. But let me make this clear, because Mitty said to me, Maddie, please, I want you to talk on work-life balance. Come on, Mitty, it doesn't exist. <laughs> there is no such thing. So please stop trying to achieve something that is a phenomena. If I give you a blank piece of paper, each one of you, mm -hmm. and I say to you, put on the top of that piece of paper how you see work-life balance. Each one of us will come up with something different. So how the hell do you expect employers to be able to give each one of us exactly what we want? And worst of all, 95% of us will not be able to put anything on the top of that piece of paper because it keeps changing as our lives go on. And I know this because I have no qualifications. I have no skills and no training. I was in poverty. I'm an Asian. I'm female. I was a single parent. I had everything going against me, which is exactly the advantage that my husband took of me and put his big foot inside my stomach not only affecting my life, but also affecting my kids' lives as they screamed, seeing what happened to me. Now, you see somebody now with loads of confidence, the ability to be able to speak, but that's not how I used to be. And I understand that it's one in three women that have to go through domestic violence. So you've got one in three women who are reported, by the way, You've got one in three women out there who don't have any confidence, who definitely don't know what it is that they want. But if we can help them, then they're gonna be great women like we are also. And all this stupidity 
of saying we need CVs, we need qualifications, you need experience. What a load of trash. <laughs> I have proven that and I represent, and this is, um, I think it was Ariana that was saying about privilege and responsibility. I recognize that I have the privilege now to be able to speak, but the responsibility to speak out for the billions of women like me, no qualification, domestic violence victims, no hope, no poverty. But if I can do it, others can do it. So what did I have to do? I had to start my own business. It, as Bella did, I wanted to start when I was 15, but my dad said, no, all Asians are going to be doctors, dentists, or pharmacists. So I wasn't allowed to do it. Eventually I dropped out of university and married an English guy, hence the, 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 what's happened to me. But at 29, when I found myself alone with two kids, there's no way anybody's going to employ me with no CV. There's no way anybody's going to look at me because I didn't have any confidence. How am I going to manage around the kids? So what I did was set up my own company because it was the only way I could do it. I made four products, sold those four products, turned them into 12 products. 12 became 24, 24, 48, and so on and so on until we had the 10,000 products a week supplying supermarkets and airlines. I failed, I lost that company. I now have eight different companies in different parts of the world, all doing all sorts of things. The point was that I understood that I am a human being, Ariad. I understood that not only was I a human being, but my staff were human beings. I got told off for asking, I got told off by the government, Cassandra, for asking if my employees had kids when they came for an interview. And the reason I wanted to know if they had kids was because I wanted to make sure that my staff had time off with their kids when it was school holidays. That if the school wanted to know, uh, if, if the child was sick, that they could phone me, not the employee, they could phone me so that I took the employee then to the school to pick up the kids. This is what happens when you understand how other human beings are. And from an employer's perspective, I know that if I have happy staff, I have productive staff. Today, Maddie, so today Maddie Group, as it's, as, as it's now known, Maddie stands for Make a Difference Ideas. Everything that I do has to make a difference. This is where Maddie Group comes from. Today we have uh, a no-blame culture within, the, within the, the, the organization. Everything that goes wrong is my fault. My staff understand that, everything. Either I've communicated wrongly or I trained them wrongly. So it's my fault, so don't blame anybody else. We don't blame governments, we don't blame police, we don't, we don't blame anybody. Every single thing is my fault. Get to the situation where you stop blaming people. Take responsibility and you will see what changes you can make. The second thing, we don't have holidays within my company. The staff take the holidays when they want them, the holidays. 
It has to fit around them. We don't count how many days they have off. I have no idea how many days holidays my staff have had, but I can tell you what, they haven't had their entitlement according to a government. And that's because they don't, they don't choose to take them. They don't want to take them. We don't have sick days. The staff call me and say, Maddie, I want a day off today, so I won't be online. We've worked remotely from the whole of our business. Why? Because it gives me flexibility. It gives them flexibility. Large companies have said to me, Maddie, it will never work. You will never be able to have everybody working from home. Well, guess what's happened in COVID? We have completely got to take this opportunity now and understand that yes, people can manage themselves. People can look after themselves and their families, but it's not all got to be focused just on the women. Men have got to take the responsibility as well. And in that, that is where I want to give you some recommendations because the first mistake we are making today, sorry, Mitty, sorry, Linda. The first <laughs> mistake we are making is there are no men around the table. Well, how will they understand what we have to go through? And if as women, we don't make sure we get round the table, then here's my saying, which I stole from somebody else, by the way. Ladies, if you are not around the table, if you are not around the table, you are on the menu. <laughs> and that's the point. This is what Cassandra was saying. It's your voice that's important. Look how Bella has changed things. The way people think, the way she positions, she can say what she wants as a girly. That's what we want, but we want you in the policy-making room. And so this is the other point that we must push women forward to get into the decision-making process. And so here's the second recommendation. The second recommendation is something that I want all the women listening to now start pushing for. We have to have parity. Parity means one vote for a man, one vote for a woman. Now in democracy, we have one vote, one vote anyway. But because we have 80% of men in a room and 20% of women, every single piece of policy that is made is made for men. So if we have two men in a room and one woman, the woman gets two votes. That is parity, that is the equality that we want. And only then when the voting is right, can the decision-making be right and can we start influencing policy? This is why maternity pay and work-life balance policies have never been adopted because men are in control. And if you look what's happening around the world now, women's rights are going backwards because the church is in control. And this is also something that we've got to be aware of. The church's role in politics is bigger than women's role, and they intend to keep women down. When I say the church, I'm talking about all religions, right? It's not, it's not just one church or the other. So we've got to make sure we change that. The third recommendation that I think is important is that 
please, you have to know what you want. Otherwise, exactly as Cassandra said, you just drift. You drift. And if we don't have that clear focus that Bella has, she knows where she's going. Ariane knows where they're going. Cassandra knows where she's going now, right? When you have that focus, you know what to ask for, not just for yourself, but for others. So keep that focus. Remember 95% of people don't know what they want. So we also need to help them to be able to find out what it is that they want. My last point, you need to find this poem. It's called The Dash. On your gravestone, the bit that says RIP, it says that you were a mother of, uh, you were a wife of, blah, 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 right? It gives the date you were born, it gives the date that you die, and in the middle is a tiny little dash. That dash represents your life. Make sure that dash means something. Gandhi said, you must be the change you want to see. Maddy said, you must be the change you want to see. No excuses. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maddy. Wow, a lot of food for thought. And um, you definitely challenged us there with this whole concept of work-life balance. We're a whole bunch of women speakers, but we don't have any men on board. So what I want to tell everybody listening here is that please invite your husbands, boyfriends, fathers to all of our conferences that are coming up because it is crucial that they hear the story of women and what we actually go through, the challenges that we go through if there is going to be change, right? So now we're moving on to our questions and answers section. And um, we have a few questions here that came in, but I wanted to start by asking our speakers, you know, because I think something that's come up is that this whole definition of work-life balance may be flawed and that maybe, maybe there's a different way of looking at it. And so I would like to ask all of our speakers, and I, 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 will, I will tell you who should speak first. Um, how would how would you like to how would you like to phrase the challenge that we that we as women particularly but as as people go through in terms of um, of this balance not necessarily work life balance how, what is a better way to describe it do you think and let's start with let's start with Bella. Wow, that's a, that was a tough one. How we would describe it? I really don't know. Like, I want to get into a little bit what one of you guys mentioned about that. It's quite impossible. Like you mentioned that you were you're a musician and your whole time goes to music, right? It's the same as a dancer. You never have any time to do anything else. Either you're rehearsing or you're prepping someone else to perform, and you're always coaching and helping other people. So. That's a tough question. I think I have to I have to think about that one a little bit more because private life and work, especially as an entrepreneur, that goes hand in hand. And that's my biggest issue personally 
to draw the line that right now I'm not working. Right now it's time for me. That is, that is actually my weakness in life to draw that clear line. Uh, so I don't know yet, to be honest. I have to think about that one a little bit more. But I think the key is definitely to, even if you're an entrepreneur or a dancer, a musician, whatever you do is to really put your time. So let's say I, am, I don't have a nine to five job, but I need to put these guidelines for myself that this is the only time I will work. Because if I don't, then I will work constantly, even in my, in my, in my dreams I'm working. So we have to put a little bit more rules for ourselves that doesn't make anyone else happy that, oh, now I have to please someone else, but what works for me and for my life? Uh, so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, but that, that's a food for thought, hopefully, that to put your own rules of what you need to balance work in your personal life. Thank you, Bella. Yeah, I think, I think that, that is kind of what I was, what I was getting at was work-life balance. Is this something that we should wait for uh, you know, for, for the, for the poli policies need to change and all of those things, but maybe it needs to also start from ourselves setting some boundaries. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's what you really covered there. Um, right. But let me ask one of the other speakers as well. Um, let me ask Ariane, how would you like to define this, this concept of work life? Is there a different way to say it? Is it a better way to say it to describe what we mean? That's such a difficult question. <laughs> I've had a few more minutes, but I think I just in general would like to see, and maybe this really comes from artist's point of view, more acceptance for work um, that is not nine to five and for more definitions of work and for more activities and for less judgment and just for more space also and maybe also for more opportunities for people who have very clear what they want to do or what they need in order to to be themselves and in order to contribute to society but that cannot because of whatever financial troubles or because of discrimination or because of whatever it is but I think I would just like to see um, yeah I think I would just like to see more acceptance for new work models for new activities that are also work but that are not considered in the classic term as, as work um and and more maybe support schemes or more more space for people to really maybe also take the time and have the time and headspace to think about who they are what is their voice what are their values how do they want to contribute how do they want to make a difference um and and yeah i think i think that would be my answer it's a really tough question but i think those are the thoughts that i have that i can share with you <laughs> Yes, sorry guys, I didn't make it easy for you. That that was a really tough first question, especially. Um, let me let me ask another question, and this comes to mind after listening to Cassandra's talk, um, where you, Cassandra, you talked about how we're so often defined by work, and even when we read up all of your bios, you know, it's 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 about the achievements, it's about the work, but what what do you actually want to be be defined for you know uh besides work uh how how would you like to be defined yeah by by society by people if you could choose besides work that's a question i would like to ask Madi first just go back to the work-life balance one first because i think i think that's 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 really important as soon as we try to put labels on something, we start stifling things. So we've got to stop 
putting labels on things because also once we start legislating on things, we then also end up restricting. So we've got to be very, very careful. So I, I would prefer we remove the labels rather than trying to label everything. We need to have more flexibility. So how I want to be defined as, you know, I worked my socks off when I was struggling, uh, younger, your age groups. You know, I worked my socks off. But I have a life now, I wouldn't change it with anybody else on this planet. That's my definition of success. It's not about accolades. It's not about how much money is in the bank. It's that I wouldn't change my life with anybody else on this planet. And how many people can say that? My life is a permanent holiday because I love what I do. And I saw in you girls, sorry, I call you girls. I know I'm so, it's disrespectful. I think it's an Indian thing that we call them girls, but you're so young compared to me, but you, each of you love what you're doing. And so I, I know you see it, I know you're seeing it as work, but try to see it as it's your passion. It's the destiny you have chosen. You know, if you don't like it, get off and do something else. But it's the, it's the thing that you've chosen. I, I know you want paying properly for it, but then that's also about asking for the remuneration that you want. So it's also about finding the jobs that you want with the right employers and the right people. And I know I'm hard, but you're going to have to face the reality anyway. And it's going to get worse now we've had COVID. So... Let's not try and go for something that's, I'm going to work 40 hours a week and have 20 hours off and have me time in the diary, because that's, that's not going to happen. Try and have that flexibility. And so that's what I want to be known for. Somebody who defines success as not wanting to change your life with anybody else. Thank you very much for that one. Um, yeah, we definitely needed to hear that. And that's, yeah. Very, very empowering as well to know that we have the power to change things uh, and we, we just need to speak up and we need to ask for that pay and um, all of the things Mari was talking about. So thank you. Um, I also wanna ask this question to Cassandra. You're kind of the one who, who brought this up in your speech. So what would you like to be defined for besides work? Um, it's a tricky question, yeah, because so much of what you do when you go into a social situation, the first thing someone asks is like, what do, what do you do? Um, but I think, you know, this is something I was thinking about a couple of months ago. I think you and I had this conversation, Linda. Um, but, you know, if someone were to say, yeah, not what you, what do you do, but like, what are you passionate about? My response would be, oh, I'm a singer because that is what I like to do and I spend a lot of time singing, but it's not my job. And then if you break that down further though, singing for me is, it's not about being on the stage in the, in the costume, like performing to an audience. I, I really love recital singing. So it's that intimate communication with people, which you then can carry across to what I do. It is communicating. It is, you know, getting to know people and getting a sense of what's important in their life or what's important in mine and then trying to meet them in the middle. So yeah very simplistically that's probably what I would say but going back to what Maddie was just saying about um describing work and you know not wanting to trade your life with anyone else's I, I love that phrase but I would also describe it as as flow like the way I think of it rather than putting labels on work time and um flexi time or you know whatever else like in my mind it's just you know going back to the 24-hour 
idea that Ariane had at, at the beginning. It's all just a flow of how you allocate that time within the, you know, the 24 hours that you have. So that's, that's also how I tend to think about the, the concept of work-life balance for me. Thank you. Yes, yes. I think um, maybe we can all agree that work-life balance, it makes you look at things as a scale and that have, have to match kind of, and it doesn't really, life doesn't look that way. Things change and things flow and there needs to be flexibility. Um, so that's something to, to keep in mind as well. Thank you for all your answers so far. I've got a question directly for Bella here. And so you, you started your, your company at 15 and you had all of those obstacles facing you. Where did you get your confidence from to overcome all of those things? Um, it's, it's really fascinating, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah it's, where did that come from? Well, um, I think that first and foremost, my siblings, I have three older siblings. They are all between eight to 12 years older than me. So I always had to compete with them to achieve, to be smarter, to be faster, to be anything, right? So I always had to be older than I was, if that makes any sense. So that was one of the parts of why I became the way I am, but also because of my culture, because even though I was born and raised in Sweden, I had a family that had a background in Iran and they had been through torture and war and prison and so many horrific things that obviously made them tougher people that just escaping and being refugees in a new country that forces people to be tougher, to have tough skin and not let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do. So growing up, I was always the spoiled child because my siblings were born and raised in Iran, but I was born in Sweden. So anything that happened, it was always, well, you're the Swede, you have it so easy, your life is so spoiled. So for some reason, instead of just being grateful for what I have, I kind of still till today want to feel the pain that my family felt, if that makes any sense, because I want to empathize with them, right? So that all automatically made me kind of punish myself like oh they've had it so hard now I need to have a tough life too right so I didn't even remotely have the tough life that my family had but we I grew up in Malmo that was full of foreigners or immigrants or whatever you want to call them and then we moved to Svedala which is a little tiny village in Miskwana with full of races, Nazis, like every day I had snowballs thrown at me. Go, this is not gonna make you white, go back to Africa where you belong. And I'm like, Iran, Africa, that's different continents. Please go to geography class and learn the difference. Plus that I'm born and raised in Sweden. I, I, at that point, I've never been in either to Iran or Africa. So my culture and my background with my family, I would say, and also the daily racism that I would face forced me to be tougher, forced me to tell myself that I can, because what was my options to just give up, let the naysayers and all the haters prove them right? Because every day I was the criminal kid that didn't know what she was doing. So that forced me to have top grades, to be successful in life, to always be an inspiration, never show them you're weak, always be the strong one, you know? So all of this together has forced me to always be the strong one, always believe that I can do it. So when they told me I could not start a business at 15, I said, I will prove you wrong. And that's what I did. And a lot of the my old bosses that I had at that time, they had hate speeches. They 
took down my flyers and said that I will never make it. And some of those studios don't even exist today. And that's a lot because of my academy and its growth. And I'm not happy about that. I'm sad about that. I'm sad that we all can't coexist and all of us work together. But if it is, you know, me versus them, and that's how the world is, not only women against men, how they put up, pin us against each other, but also just society is always trying to watch you fail. So in short, I didn't want to let anyone be right. I wanted to prove them wrong. So I wasn't going to let anyone tell me that I couldn't do it. I needed to show them that I can do that and more. So I hope that answered your question. I started a new speech. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. It's, it's really great to hear about your journey and yeah, just where you got the confidence from. And of course, if you compare with what your family went through, it's, it's like, yeah, okay. Um, you know, the challenges that you face, it's, it's all relative, right? Um, but, um, but here now, let me ask another question that is directly from, uh, from the audience here. And I want, I want everyone to answer this. Um, so they, they've written, how can we explain this concept? And I think they're talking about, um, so the title of this conference, um, Women Leaders, Balancing be the Woman Leadership and the Feminine. So how can we explain this concept to the people who do not know or understand this? Um, and then they write male-oriented society, for example. Okay, so people who don't understand what male-oriented society is. How do we explain that? That's what they mean. So let's start with, Ariane, how do we explain the concept of male-oriented society to people who don't understand? Okay, um, I think I'd start by, well, raising awareness and just sharing stories. And I think you always, it's wrong to try to convince somebody else. I think it's better to just give them some seeds so they can just grow the flowers themselves and they can just realize how they are affected. And once they know how they have been affected or how um, they have been affected in a negative way and what they could change and why they have to act, then I have the hope that they will. <laughs> so I think I would really just starting by educating, raising awareness and sharing stories and just, but not with, with the, um, how do you say, like not, not in a forced way and not saying you have to, but just explaining and inviting people to, to join the debate. I think that's how I would start. <laughs> Great. And what about Cassandra? How would you how would you explain some, something like male-oriented society and the challenges that we face as women to somebody who maybe not understands, who doesn't understand the concept, possibly a man? Um yeah, I would I'd probably ask them to, you know, spend a day in their their sister, cousin, mother's choose and I don't mean that to sound cliche but like if you spend a day with a woman and she's or a girl and they're kind of explaining you know why they do the things they do within their daily routine you know when I go out on the street you know if you're going to your car I always have my car keys in my hand like why do I do that and if I'm you know out after a certain time would I have gone home before a certain time or would I would I feel comfortable to stay why is that the case kind of thing um, even just, you know, walking through life with someone and, and having an experience of how they do things can be eye-opening rather than, yeah, like grassroots education is important, but if I were to come across someone who had no idea kind of there was anything 
wrong with the way the world was that that's probably where I would start yes thank you and what about what about Maddie also um this question how do we explain it to people who just don't understand so it's statistical it's statistical data 52 percent of the population is women why are we defined as the minority why is it always and women disabled socially excluded roma and women i'm sorry but we are 52 percent we are the majority and worst case scenario and this is this is never goes down well but i'm sorry men we don't actually need you anymore <laughs> full stop there's no reason to have men anymore medical technologies plastic technologies you know what i mean <laughs> lifting equipment you know if we wanted and that's actually why the men don't want us because they think we want to get rid of them now that is completely wrong we don't women are not asking for any more than we are equal we we are have a right to but men are never going to give us that we have to take it so your arguments have to be good and the best argument that you can use is Iceland. I can't remember, I think it was 19, oh, I can't remember the date exactly, 75, but it might, that sounds a bit too far back. Every single woman in Iceland went on strike on the same day. The economy stopped. And since that point, the kids didn't go to school, the secretaries didn't go to work, the washing wasn't done, the kids were all fed with burgers and sausages. It was the biggest sales of sausages and burgers that day. <laughs> but they completely changed. Since then, they have had women leaders and their economic growth has been phenomenal. But they are a balanced society. And take today's situation of COVID-19. The, the countries run by women, Taiwan, Germany, New Zealand, have outranked any other ones. Take the UK, take the US, and it's an absolute disaster. <laughs> this is why we need a balance of women and men in leadership, so that we have sustainability going forward that's i think the arguments that you should use when you're talking about a male orientated society it has to be a balanced society thank you absolutely and more on this topic in our third conference which is on the third of october so we'll speak a little bit more about this discussion of a balanced society um just ariane as well do you want to answer this question of how oh sorry no, you already, oh, no, it's Bella. Sorry, Bella, <laughs> would you answer this question as well? How do of we course. I totally agree, obviously, with everything everyone was saying. That's very valid points. I also want to add that if we think about the Me Too movement, uh, I recently saw an idea of, let's say Me Too never happened. 
how would the world look today? And it was very interesting to see the difference that the Me Too movement did and why did it even happen by women uniting. And I touched on that a little bit in my speech. Women must stop competing against each other. We must stop thinking that if she gets the position, that means that I don't. Let's applaud each other. Let's be happy for that. At least another woman got the position, right? Instead of like, oh, I'd rather a man had it because we're so used to men taking those roles. So we need to stop competing with each other. We need to unite because if we don't unite, our little voices feel so small compared if we unite like the Me Too movement, we're going to feel like we are unbeatable. Like Mari was saying, we are a majority. Why are we always like lowering our voices and feeling like we take too much space when the men has been taking space for centuries. It is our time. And that doesn't mean that we have to, the men has to diminish and we don't need them. I, I totally agree with what you were saying, every single word, but at least equally, we must take space. So, but then again, if we have this conversation all by ourselves, how will men ever even look at themselves and realize what they're doing wrong. We're always discussing, just like Maddie said, we're always discussing amongst each other. So I always try to inv invite, like my, <laughs> you were mentioning, bring, bring in some men. I was waving here at my, at my partner. I was like, show them in the, in, the <laughs> in the camera that you're here and you're nodding and you're listening as well. Because I think at least in your inner circle, it's very important that you make the men in your inner circle understand what you're going through and to live in your shoes, just like one of you were saying here. And a perfect example of that is my period pains. This is very personal, but I will say it anyway. So I have horrific period pains every single month. When I was younger, sometimes it was continuing for two weeks and I had pain before and after my period as well. And I cannot tell you, I puke, I pass out, I like, it's just horrible. And a lot of women cannot even identify with that because either they don't have the same type of period pain that I have, or nobody speaks about it. And therefore it's so taboo that we should just walk around pretending that this is not an issue. This is just one of many extra issues that women face every single day that men don't. So I saw a documentary of uh, when they wanted men to have one day in a female's shoes. So they put a tense, I think it's called, they put this machine on their bellies and backs and have them feel a little like shock of how it feels to have period pain. The men start crying. They were screaming and crying and they were, <laughs> they were freaking out. And then the, the doctor or researcher uh, that was doing this, she told them, this is just on the lowest power. This is not even on the highest of what women are experiencing. And you are not even experienced the pimple and the feeling swollen and nauseous and headaches. And you're not even getting all of that. You're just getting a little bit of the period pain. And now imagine being required to go on stage and perform with this period pain or to be a musician or you know whatever you're doing in your life, we are not getting days off because we have period pain. And if we do, we need to make sure that we make up for it later when we come back to work, right? So that's just one of little things that if we could put this little machine, I tell my partner all the time, I wish I had that machine to put it on you, make you feel what I'm going through every single month. And that's just one of many ways to make men understand because it's not enough that we talk about it. They need to literally live in our shoes just for a day. And I hope that that will make a difference. Another example is one of my dear friends. She's always taking care of her kids. Always. She has two kids. They're, they're quite demanding. She's a stay-at-home mom and she does so much for these kids. 
her husband is working. So he wanted to take um, eight days off, I think it was, to go and do a project. I'm not going to go into too much details of what he wanted to do, but he wanted these eight days off. And then they were having a lot of fights about this, that, oh, it's Corona times and you shouldn't take eight days off during Corona times and bring back home potential Corona to your family. And also, are you going to leave me for eight days with the kids? And I can't do all of that already by myself. It's already hectic and so on and so forth. With that said, I told her instead of fighting with him about this, because when you fight about a topic that only makes especially men, but people in general, if you tell someone that they can't do something, they want to do it even more, right? So I told her, support him, tell him, go, have fun, enjoy. I will take care of the kids, no worries. But then she's going to come with me on a vacation and you want to go and do these things for eight days because he was like, this is not vacay, this is like hard work. I'm like, okay, but these eight days, you decided what you get to do on your two eight days free. Now she gets to decide on her eight days. She's going to Bahamas with me. And then you're going to have to take care of the kids for eight days. And the problem here is she would never do it. She would never leave the kids for eight days with him because she's scared he will mess something up. She will come back and the house is on fire. The kids will have run away. You know, we worried that they will fail in these easy tasks or heart task doesn't matter if we don't give them the responsibility that we have every single day we don't give them the benefit of the doubt to actually succeed and let's say they can't change a diaper let them do it wrong a million times until they learn right so I'm forcing her you're taking eight days off you're coming with me and then after those eight days he will know how it feels to be in your shoes right so that's my my take on it we we really have to force men to feel how it is to be a woman even if it's for one day Absolutely. Yes. We yes. should all have those tense machines um, every yes. month. <laughs> what we experience. Thank right. you all so much um, for your insights, for the wonderful discussion. It's It's been such a wonderful conference, more than I ever could have dreamt. This was just amazing. So thank you everyone for all of your input. We have been doing this for one and a half hour now, so it's time to wrap up. Um, so yes, just, I just want to say thank you. And, um, um, again, just a reminder that we have two other conferences coming up. The next one is on the 19th of September, uh, all about balancing motherhood and womanhood. So also following what Bella just said, you know, what women with children actually experience and how to find the balance between your needs as an individual, as a woman, and also motherhood. Um, and then the final one will be about society as a whole, becoming those architects, uh, those actual architects and builders of that balanced society. So looking forward to seeing you then. Um, yes, thank you again. And uh, that's it for today. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you got something out of it, please share it with your friends, family, somebody you think would benefit from the message. And I hope to see you in our next episode. Bye.